Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. Innova Asset Management is a boutique portfolio manager that has been managing client portfolios since 2010. Innova believe in constructing portfolios that work with investor behaviour rather than against it. This is why they have built risk-focused portfolio solutions that support a goals-based advice framework. Innova's focus on risk management and their active approach to asset allocation has been designed to work through all market cycles, which was evident in 2020 when they were able to participate in the market rebound while also protecting capital on the downside. Hello and welcome to this topic series on behavioural investing, where we're taking a deep dive into the client and advisor decision making process. My name is Fraser Jack and in this episode number two of five, we cover goals based investing. From the advisor discussions with clients to how fund managers can take on a goals based approach. If you've ever thought about having these types of conversations with your clients, this episode is a must. Welcome back to episode two in this series. I'm joined by Patricia and Catherine. And in this particular episode, we're talking about goals-based investing and goals-based advice in itself. Uh, Patricia, we're going to start with you this time. Tell us about uh, what does goals-based advice and goals-based investing mean to you? (laughs) Hi, Fraser. Um, So um, it can mean a range of things. Um, I'll start with an easier example, I think, which is uh, what a lot of people are doing these days um, is um, the bucket strategy concept. Um, so, um, for example, um, if you sit down with a client and you work out, um, you know, five, ten different goals, what you then do is you work out the time frame of those goals. So is that something um, short term, medium term or long term? Um, what are their minimum income requirements? Uh, what are their... Uh, um, you know, sort of uh, wants versus needs. Um, so there's a range of different ways you can go about it. But the idea is that you want to first determine um, the amount of money that they need and when, and then potentially work backwards from that on the amount of risk that they should take with that portfolio. But it sort of doesn't stop there because you then have to overlay that with can they actually um, uh, withstand this level of risk and volatility where their behavior won't make them do something that could actually lead to a worse outcome. So what I mean by that is you could have a client that only has longer term goals. So technically, uh, you might say that you can invest in a high growth portfolio uh, because they're not going to need the money for 10, 15 years. Uh, but then you find out through your discussions with them that um, they're very risk adverse. Um, and then even after a lot of education, you, you can tell that, um, if their investments went down in value, even if it was 10, 20%, that they would be very worried and that probably would make the wrong decisions at that point in time and, and sell a market a low. So, um, there's a range of different ways you can go about it, but I think this example just, um, highlights, um, the, the, the fundamentals behind it. So it's trying to work out, the risk tolerance, the risk capacity, 
Um, and then the different buckets and solutions that might meet that and trying to overlay one with the other in the best way you can. Yep. Catherine, uh, what are your thoughts? I'd like to hear more from Patricia about how you actually overlay that. So the challenge to me seems like you have someone's risk tolerance. They're, that's just their, their personal, um, say, present bias overall, their tolerance for those the down movements in their portfolio. But at the same time, you might have a short-term goal um, which will end up with a completely different asset allocation to a long-term goal. So from a compliance perspective in particular, but also from a client engagement perspective, how do you actually overlay those two components? And I know this is heavily just focusing on the asset allocation side. but Yeah, so there's a couple of ways. Um, I find that not often you find that you have a client that might just have only a short-term goal, for example, and then uh, everything has to be conservative. Like there might be other things that then overall you could overlay that risk tolerance with the different portfolios. But let's keep it simple. Let's say um, that a client only has a short-term goal, like to buy a property in a year or two years. Um, but then uh, the risk profile or, you know, the tolerance uh, is quite high because they're young and they want to invest for the future. Um, well, that's essentially a conflict. Um, so we explain that to clients and we say, look, you're, um, you know, you've got a long-term view and you've, you've got the ability to, uh, sustain ups and downs. You've had, maybe they've had some experience with shares in the past, but then we explain that, um, you've got this goal and you need, you know, $200,000 to buy a property and you want to save for that for the short term. So my question to you is if you do invest high growth and that goes down by 30, 40%, are you going to wait longer? Uh, to buy the property. Uh, and if the question, if the answer is no, then you explain to them, well, that's why you probably can't invest like that because you need to be able to sustain that. Uh, and then if the question is yes, is, um, do you want to do that? You know, is that more important? Is getting better returns now in the short term more important than getting the house sooner? Uh, and you essentially have those discussions and then agree on the strategy going forward. So even though their answers could have been like that, you might then end up having to do a different um, uh, risk profile. And we go, okay, now answer with that in mind. No, with that in mind where the main priority is to buy a house and you're not willing to delay that purchase, how would you answer these questions? And normally that will lead to a different outcome. Um, and then, yeah, essentially you just have to deal with um, uh, the conflicts and, and, and work through those conflicts until you get to a solution that is suitable. Yeah, now, uh, Catherine, I just wanted to throw to you in this particular moment now because obviously we're talking about if markets drop, um, you know, you invest and then markets drop. I know you've done some research around this particular thing. Uh, do you want to quickly tell us about the, the results from that? Just to clarify, I do a lot of research. Which particular <laughs> research are you referring I, to? <laughs> I think you did some research around um, around when people, you know, uh, that they're purchasing and then going in and then and then markets dropping. So timing timing the market is, you know, or trying to time time the market with those types of investments. Uh huh. I see. So I've done research that looks at, in particular, the effect of a geared portfolio compared to a non geared portfolio, and the idea is it kind of replicates a new client scenario where generally there'll be an initial investment and it can either be a small investment or a large investment. And the geared uh, question is an interesting question in general, for especially for clients with very high risk tolerance. But regardless of the gearing component of that, um, that particular research, and we looked at 
going into the market in every single month since 1976, which is when the data started, the data set started. And basically the results of the research is timing is everything. And you can't predict, of course, because the previous few months don't give you any indication of whether the next few years will be a good thing. And of course, a, a general investment portfolio of say a five-year time frame um, <laughs> is quite a long time to invest. So, it's all about the sequencing risk. And I'm sure that Patricia has this experience, in, especially with regards to goal-based um, investing where each, say, uh, component of assets has a different time frame to the other particular components of assets. So the sequencing risk almost becomes magnified in a way because you might have all of the, all of the investments going in at the same time and then you have them all coming out at the time that's associated with that particular goal. So in particular, say at the point of retirement, which traditionally as soon as, as someone reaches retirement, they'll often then convert their assets to more conservative um, asset classes, which just introduces a huge arbitrary sequencing risk of when you exit the market. So the sequencing risk is at entry and at exit. So that overlays obviously with goals-based investing even more than a traditional kind of one, one asset bunch approach. Yeah, that was exactly the that was exactly the, the the conversation I was trying to get to. It's probably a little bit off topic, but um, uh, but I think it's uh, relevant to that particular story that Patricia told. Patricia, I wanted to ask you about um, you know the five to ten goals conversation. Now, um, you know, you mentioned it's it's fairly simple for you to talk to your clients around having uh, you know those goals. Um, you know, in, in the past, it could be uh, the 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 profession could be accused of not finding enough goals for clients. How do you go about, and how do you have any trouble finding a, a bunch of goals for each particular client? So essentially, I'll just prompt them with things that I've seen other clients. Um, so I'll give them ideas. You know, I say, oh, you know, some clients might have. Um, some people might want to leave um, inheritances to their children. Some people might want to. Um, go on, on, um, holidays or take time off work or, um, live overseas or, um, do, you know, have an education fund for their children or, um, you know, so I'll just essentially give them examples of other goals because that will inspire them. The more you do it, um, the more they understand it and then it's the easier it becomes for them. Like the, the beginning is the hardest. Um, and the, I think the hardest is actually not, Finding the goals, the hardest is putting a figure and a time to it. Um, so, you know, how, how much do I need for that or how much do I need for that? That's the hardest part. But to be honest, I think our job is, um, I think the best thing we can do for clients is um, to just start with a foundation. You know, I always say to them, let's try to get this as, as accurate as possible because that will help us manage it along the way. But even if it's inaccurate, we'll change it. That's why we've got an ongoing relationship with you. But we're, we're going to do our best to make it accurate. We're going to, you know, we're not just going to uh, accept that word that they spend twenty thousand dollars a year. I know that that's probably unlikely. I will prompt them and I'll I'll do <laughs> calculations to show them that it's probably not the case, and we'll try to be as accurate as possible. But um, a lot of the times, uh, things don't happen the way that you expect them to happen, and that's okay. Um, the main point is just to be able to have the 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 map there and have the business plan and then adjust the plan as you go um but i think the examples is what helps the most at the beginning 
Yep, excellent. So the having a bit of a list or a master list or, or, or a conversation that can give them ideas. Um, and I just wanted to quickly ask you too around the bucketing. How are you calculating the bucketing at this point? Are you having to go away and do individual calculations or have you got tools that you use? Yeah, um, there's a range of different ways. So for every client will be different, but um, essentially, um, again, you work through short, medium and long-term goals uh, we do projections and we look at how much we're needing to take out of the different um, assets at uh, different points in time. Um, and then to sort of add on to what um, Catherine was saying before about sequencing risk in terms of that time of retirement moving from growth to, 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 to moderate or balanced, let's say, to more conservative allocation. Um, again, we educate clients about that and we say we can't just wait until you retire to do it. We have to actually do it along the way before retirement. Um, so I talk about like re- retirement risk zone. So, you know, we have to prepare for retirement or um, if we're not preparing for retirement, like some clients actually don't want to do it. Um, some clients have had a lot of experience with growth investments. They don't want to. I then do the calculation. I go, okay, well, every year that we delay, this is the risk. This is what could happen. Are you prepared to delay your retirement? And they usually in that case would say, yeah, actually we would. If the market crashed right then, we would delay our retirement um, because it's more important for us to have a higher growth portfolio now than to go more conservative earlier. Um, so for me, uh, that's why I say to them, that's why it's important. Every year it changes. Those calculations changes, um, uh, change. And the, their behaviors will change. As they get closer to retirement, they will get more conservative. Uh, majority of them will. And, and, and even they, as they get close, they start going, Oh, we'll revisit this next year, right? And I'm like, yeah, we'll revisit this next year or, you know, at our next meeting in six months. So they learn that because we preempt that early on. Um, so it's all about, I think, um, explaining that it's a long term strategy and then revisiting it every year. And then it becomes ingrained and they, they know what to expect. And then how do you go about the investment side of it? Because sometimes, I mean, we say goals-based investing, but sometimes it could actually mean goals, goal spending, you know, spending the money, not just investing it. But um, tell us about your, your thoughts around that now from the next step of taking the portfolio and, and investing it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's different ways. And again, we'll talk about uh, different ways to invest with them. But there's a, there's a range of different calculations and things that we have to go through to make sure it all adds up, you know, that, um, it adds up from the amount that goes into the bucket as well as the overall, uh, risk that they're taking. So there's a lot of things that we need to look into, but let's say to keep it simple that, uh, over the next 10 years, we work out that they're going to need to withdraw this amount from their investments each year. Um, so we essentially might go, okay, so we need one or two years in cash or, Three to five, three to five years in conservative, five to seven years in moderate, seven balance and high growth. So you, you work them in with their minimum investment timeframes or recommended investment timeframes. Uh, also taking into account the fact that you get dividends, for example, that top up the cash account and things like that. So there's a range of different things. It's not perfect. I don't have the, um, uh, it's something that I think that hopefully Catherine and, and, and people like her can actually help us because uh, with, because I think that also markets have changed so significantly. What, you know, when I started uh, the minimum timeframe uh, that was recommended for some high growth investments might've been five or six or seven years. Now it can be 10, um, you know, interest rates are much lower. Um, bonds carry a lot of risk. It's actually, I feel, I still feel that we potentially uh, have old tools to address 
today's problems. Like we don't actually have the tools to address today's problems because we haven't had today's problems before. Um, you know, record low interest rates and, and record low bond yields and rising rates and, and, and overvalued market, <laughs> market. So everything is just, um, really, um, there is no safe asset. Um, so again, we explain that to clients, you know, we don't have a, a, a bulletproof approach. Uh, we just have tools to help us manage and have control when we need to make big decisions. Catherine, did you want to add anything to that? It's such a complicated scenario at the moment. And to me, I mean, normally it's a complicated scenario for it when you look at goals-based investing, because you've got the asset allocation discussion for every single goal, right? So... There's no one discussion and one blanket approach. It's a it's a detailed, detailed discussion. And then, of course, yeah, with the current scenario, as you mentioned, all of the conservative assets are now, well, even more clearly risky assets, I suppose. Yeah, I think the uh, and the danger in that is it starts to become confusing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if, it, if, it, if a danger of that is starts to become confusing, then that does that mean that the advice becomes a really long and complicated process? Um, it can be. Uh, at the moment, I don't think that we've made it more confusing because I don't think anyone has the answer to uh, the problems that I've just raised and Catherine, um, you know, endorsed is no one has a solution. What, what do you use for defensive when defensive isn't truly defensive? Um, so that's really um, difficult. But uh, we also know that we can't predict what markets do. Um, you know, um, I think we just need to um, continue to work on um, changing the way that we build portfolios and, 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 and look at markets continue to learn, but no one has a bulletproof, um, strategy. So, um, as long as clients understand the risks, um, and we're doing the best job that we can with the tools that we have today. Um, but also I think we need to continue to work on, um, better tools to help with that. Yeah, I really like the way that you said uh, earlier, you know, addressing, we don't quite have the tools to address today's problems because we haven't had the today's problems before. So uh, I think that's a really interesting point. Um, Patricia, Catherine, thank you so much for joining us in this episode. Um, I look forward to going a little bit deeper into these conversations. We'll start tackling values-based decision-making in the next episode. At this point in the conversation, I'm welcoming Dan and David back to the conversation where we're talking about uh, goals-based investing. Uh, Dan, I might kick this one off with you. Tell us what your sort of high-level thoughts on goals-based investing are. Um, I'd like to keep it reasonably simple um, in that um, you you want to invest um, your money to to achieve a goal. Well, it's kind of self-explanatory, right? You want to invest your money to achieve a goal. the, the, where I think it starts to get a bit nuanced is how do you go about doing that? Um, I'm of the firm belief that, um, people have multiple goals. Um, even if uh, a client comes to you and says, no, my only goal is to be able to fund my retirement. Well, okay, that might be the case, but you, you might have another 30 years to live. And so therefore you might have three different time horizons. And therefore, you may need to look at it in three different ways that you may have three different levels of, um, your risk tolerance, capacity, and need to take on over those, you know, those intertemporal periods. Um, and therefore, it, it, it's my, my belief that um, we should be building um, portfolios that are based around clients' goals, which I think where, where we can, you know, bring back in the, the concept of, you know, um, mental accounting and bucketing and saying, okay, well, what are the highest priority and what are the shortest term? Um, and, and how can we build portfolios that are based around the risk that you can 
that, that you've said that you can tolerate and you have the capacity for to take on for that. Yes, we want to maximize the return, but we don't want to breach that risk. Um, and it's really the, it's, it's the breaching of that risk is what I think is key in, in goals-based investing because it, it, it's, it, it's when clients experience something that they weren't expecting that leads to what is generally value-destructive behavior. Um, you know, if they go through, we're going to talk about risk profiling later, so I won't go into huge detail here, but, you know, a client is, has filled out a, a risk profile questionnaire and they've got a certain score and let's say they're balanced and they're put into a portfolio with a fairly static, static asset allocation. And in theory, the amount of risk that they receive over a very long time horizon should average out at about that. But we know that that's not how markets operate and that risk changes and is volatile throughout time. But given that the amount of risk that they can tolerate is reasonably fixed, at least at the point in time in which the strategy is set, I think that um, a, a goals-based investment should be benchmarked to the amount of risk associated with what it is that they have said that they can tolerate. Because if you breach that, that is when you're going to get these behavioral responses that can be value destructive. They And, and you know, there's lots of people that say things like um, – Capital losses don't count unless they're, they're realized and you sell them. Well, look, let, let's be honest. Human beings, when they see, if they see negative things on their screen, it, it leads to a visceral response that can equate into a behavior that leads to a, you know, a realization of that capital loss because they were not expecting that, that result. And so if we can manage portfolios to, you know, fairly strict risk parameters, I think we go a far we get a lot closer to what is a goals-based investment than setting it up based around, you know, capital market relative return associated portfolios, which may or may not have anything to do with achieving their goals and, 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 and what their own personal biases and behaviors um, can, can tolerate. Um, anyway, that's, that's my, my, my opinion. Excellent. I'll get your initial thoughts. Yeah, Dave. sure. Sure, Fraser. Uh, yeah, Dan's really called out some interesting points there. The range of outcomes around the goals when you're designing that framework is really important. And I, I might get back to that later, but I just wanted to maybe start with the amazingly interesting, difficult, fascinating job that financial advisors have because you know, here they're trying to marry the theory with um, how do they frame this and engage with uh, re- retail clients. It's just an amazingly challenging problem. So, you know, on, on the academic side, the whole foundations of, um, of savings investment is the life cycle model of savings consumption investment. It's been around for, uh, it's just, just gone past its 50th anniversary. Merton and Samuelson, both Nobel Prize winners, have framed that up. And it's all about, you know, through your whole life, you know, generally smoothing life cycle um, consumption through time. You know, you then have to add in all the, the peaks and troughs to that, which is where goals come in. You know, people don't spend the same amount every year. They save up for a nice holiday or they have school fees for a period of time and they have all these issues that come through the journey of life. And so if you start with something that's completely theoretical, it's just not going to connect. And if you don't connect, you know, people won't stay the course with a plan and it all starts to fall apart because it's actually – yeah, in my view, the strength and commitment to that plan to hold on to it, to work through the, the ups and downs of that plan, um, which which allows people to stay the distance and realise 
um, longer term risk premia as they as they get realised. So you can start to see the amazing challenges faced by advisors. They have to sort of convert into something that is, feels more tangible, can relate, get it, get past some of these time horizon effects where it goes from the present to the future. How do you visualise the future where you put some goals there? Like, oh, here's a picture of um, European river cruise in 15 years' time. Here's a picture of my son graduating in 10 years' time where I have no more school fees. Won't that be nice? And and all these things which which start to come around. And and so even though I love the theory of it, yeah, I think goals-based is sort of a frame that I get, I understand. I think it's a, it's a really neat one for um, advisors to use as, a, as, as that bridging mechanism. It's how it's applied, which is some of the things which I think Dan's talked to, which um, which is where the rubber hits the road. and It does get quite challenging. Yeah, and I love the, I love the word connection that you used uh, just then too, and, and the clients connecting with the plan and connecting with the goals and the outcomes. And uh, I'm a I'm a big one, uh, as you mentioned, Dan, for having a lot of goals under under advice or a, goal, a lot of goals under management. I call them. Uh, I actually call it gum goals under management, and I like the idea of um of uh, the the advisor really getting into that, you know, like getting into that scenario where they're there to achieve the outcomes of the goals, not just to achieve a percentage return or any of the benchmarking we talked about in the previous episode, but understanding and, you know, having a bucket list of, of things on the goals list. And as you tick some off, you, you know, you bring others in. And so you're really managing that goal process. Um, but Dan, from a, uh, you know, investment point of view, uh, you know, I think, a lot of advisors struggle to then realize or connect that if I'm having a conversation with the client about their goals and I'm there, you know, to help them bucket those things, how do I then translate that into the investment world? Shouldn't I just be just finding a normal investment or what, what are your thoughts? Well, no, I th- that, that, that's where I think it, um, it comes down to understanding um, and having a greater appreciation and, and, and more, um, technical tools to understand the amount of risk that can be associated, um, that the client can take, um, so that you can, instead of just concentrating on um, risk tolerance, which you know is um, uh, a, a, a you know sub, uh, a, I guess a, a psychological um, measure, um, and you can take on things such as you know risk capacity, which is an objective measure, um, and also goal risk, you know the the possibility of achieving those goals, and um, and David, as you said, you know. Th- it's also the sequence of how these things occur throughout time. It's it, everything's path dependent, and you know if it's it's all well and good that you might be in ten years' time, you know, the top decile performer in something. But if three years into it something occurred that clients were not um, uh, pre-positioned for or aware of could occur, and they divest away from it, you know, three years into the in the thing, who cares where you, where you are ten years later because the client's already left. Um, and so that's that's where I, I agree with you. It's this it's this fascinating challenge for advisors to try and translate that back. And and my belief is that is the use of um, some of the new tools that are available to understand you know clients' financial literacy. It's it's to expand upon um, their um, the understanding of risk to move beyond just tolerance, but also capacity onto need, onto, you know, the the ambiguity around the, the likelihood of achieving those goals and the prioritization of those goals, and then associating levels of um, risk with them that they may either need to take on or that they are comfortable to be able to take on, um, and that portfolio managers provide solutions that fit that 
um, that framework so that the, the the client knows why they own what they own and then unless the the portfolio does something that it you know doesn't say it should do on the box they really shouldn't worry because they they know why they own what they own and and, and where it's there for and I think that is going to increase the likelihood that they will stay the course for the long term and I'm a firm believer that you know clients are not most clients, some will, but most clients are not going to achieve their long-term goals unless they have someone like a financial advisor to be able to help them, you know, with everything that goes on in life and all the changes that occur, not just markets, but everything else that goes along as well. It's that, that, I mean, that's just, I mean, that's it. One of our taglines is, you know, returns matter, but behavior matters more. I mean, that's really where the advisor can add so much value. Yeah, so, 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 so what I'm hearing you say is a lot of the stuff around managing the risk, even more so than managing the returns. And, uh, and you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting thought about, you know, managing the risk or the conversations that the advisor is having with the client, uh, but then to have, for that to spill over into the investment portfolio, also working with the advisor to manage the, the risks as well as the returns, I guess. Yeah, it's exactly right. And if I just take Dan's um, conversation there, which really was – insightful and just try and nail it down to one specific example. You know, I think of goals as a great framing agent. They really connect the advisor to the client and then you got to work with those goals to really build out the plan and you have to think of it just like Dan was saying, range of outcomes and the likelihood of achieving those goals, how much you might miss by or exceed by, which is what you sort of the, the, the non-client word would be stochastically thinking about the outcomes and having yeah, systems to support that, but getting the right language. And then once, if you can do that, you, you're really seeing yourself up for a rich plan. So if I just go like the retirement decision um, and planning for retirement, yeah, if you can picture it out a long way out, you know, put the nice picture of the holiday there at that time, well, then you sort of can say, well, if you invest your retirement savings in cash, you are certain or near certain to not achieve your retirement goal. Um, if you put it in a, a higher a balanced portfolio, then this is the range of outcomes. It's more likely you'll achieve because we expect to get higher expected returns as a result. There's a, there's a variability of outcome. There's ups and downs, but our, you know, our view is that these things level out a little bit over time and this is your range of outcomes. So it can't just be about, yeah, the, the challenge for advisors is to have the technical skill and the tools in support to really be able to frame, you know, do the, the grunt work behind the scenes. But then that communication challenge to sort of say, well, this is what it's going to look like for you. You know, it's not assured that you're going to achieve your goal, but we're giving you this, we're putting in place something that has this range of outcomes to achieve that goal. And we think that's the right range of outcomes um, for you. The other thing I just throw in is that you know goals-based financial planning starts to feel more like a partnership because yep you have your financial assets working for you, but there's also this opportunity to you know maybe save a bit harder if things aren't going well and um yeah and and having that sort of engagement that you can have with a with a, between the advisor and the client so there's much more of a partnership model with a with a shared goal that's coming through. Yep. I visual, I visualize that when I say that as a, when you say that as a as a um, a target on an xy axis so you got time and money on the on the axis and you're going to end up with a low or a high or an early or a late depending on yeah. where it, where it is rather than an exact number at exact time. Dan? Oh, yeah, I, I love that you brought in the word stochastic and, and <laughs> you know, because, the, you know, the linear modeling that, that 
tools that have been made available to advisors. I mean, it's the industry's fault that advisors have have had you know have had to use these sorts of tools. Where providing in a stochastic uh, stochastic modeling system to show variability, you can have far more meaningful conversations with clients. Where you say, okay, well, you know, you might want to invest your money in this way, but you know, there's a 90% chance that you'll run out of dough by the time you're 70. Like, are you comfortable with that? Um, we can increase the variability of the outcomes, but the probability of you achieving, you know, whatever this goal may be or, you know, this financial amount of money that you need could be, you know, greatly expanded. And then the ups and downs of the market become hopefully less um, uh, less relevant and it's more about let's understand the variability of the, of the outcome, i.e. The, the risk associated with the outcome um, and how comfortable you are with it. And it's it's I think the real value is not just in the initial conversation and setting that up with the client, it's the ongoing conversation which you mentioned, David. I think that's where, you know, you can come back and say like, are we on track and you know what has changed and and you know are we are we are we ahead of schedule or are we behind schedule and and what can we do to change it to make sure that we're on track i think it's that ongoing review piece becomes even more valuable i think it, it first of all it creates a fantastic first interview with the client but the ongoing engagement is is just so much more powerful i believe now, we're talking about projections here. We're talking about the tracking, which is amazing. I, I love this conversation. Uh, and we're just talking about staying in, inside the tracks. Now, for those listeners that uh, the, the stochastic modeling versus deterministic modeling, essentially deterministic is your basic spreadsheet. Think about that. You put the number in, you put the return, and it does the same return every year. Um, but stochastic is talking about adding some variables, and it could be it could be up this year, it could be down this year, and that's going to have a big determination on what it might be in 20 years from now. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this particular episode. We're, we're talking about goals-based investing. Uh, the next episode, we're going to start talking a bit more about values-based decision-making, which we're going to put these two together, basically, basically the uh, the biases we came from the first uh, conversation uh, and the goals-based investing and start talking about values-based decision-making. We look forward to catching you in the next episode. Thank you. Cheers, Fraser. Thank you.